welcome back to another episode of Real Relatable. I am your host, Donna Green, here for part two of the generational discussion and perspective of being Black in America. Today, I am joined by yet another fantastic guest, one of the most incredible women I know, the only person who can simultaneously read a book, watch TV, and know what's going on in both Hands down, the beholder of the best jambalaya and cheesecake recipes you'll ever taste. Please join me in welcoming my dear Aunt Carolyn to the podcast. Hi, Aunt Carolyn. Hey, how you doing? Good to be with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me. I really appreciate you hopping on. Hey, I appreciate you having me. How are you holding up in quarantine? Uh, actually, I like it. Really? Well, I mean, you know, I don't go anywhere. I'm old. I work from home. <laughs> I only go to the store and back. So it's really not a hardship. Yeah. I live in a nice house. It's, you know, it's wonderfully decorated. So I'm glad to be here. And I'm also happy to have a house. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, it's good. You know, seriously. No, and we'll, we'll get to talking about that too here in a little bit about, um, housing and things like that. Um, I know the last time that we talked, you mentioned that you were starting to get into candle making. Are you still doing that? Yeah, actually, I've made a few candles. Well, actually, like maybe 10. And of the 10, maybe three came out good. Because it's a real process that people don't know. If you see a candle that's $15, buy it because it's worth that because you have to know everything. Wick, size, jar size, scents. It's uh, amazing. That's to incredible. To make a good candle. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that you agreed to join us on the podcast and I'm honored to have you. Um, I've, I've just been kind of curious to learn more about um, or from those who are closest to me um, mm-hmm. to gain even more perspective about the racial, the racial injustices in our country and how that can transcend generations. Um, so I wanted to kind of start off by learning a little bit more about um, what era and where did you grow up? Okay, so you know we, my sister, your mother, Mm -hmm. and myself, you know, we were born in Mississippi, and we were born like in the 50s. I lie about my age so much, but we do. We were born in the 50s. We we didn't really live in uh, Mississippi. We lived like the first four or five years of our life before we came here to Illinois. Mm. But so I don't, uh, the kind, and if you're asking about, like, as far as racism goes, I don't even think we knew what the word racism meant you know it wasn't like it was a term like it's used today I mean we just knew that you're a black person uh white people live on that side of the town and you live on this side of the town that's exactly Mm. how it was now some white people are nice other white people are not but you always knew you just always knew that you were black Mm. being known even if you were like you know like my sister is a light-skinned black person Mm -hmm. It, she probably has you know, a different perspective than myself because I'm the darker skinned black person. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, her, the racism that she might have gotten might not have even come from white people. It might have come from, and can black people be racist against other black people who are of a different skin color? Is that possible? So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. Too, that's generational. So, I'm mm-hmm. saying like everybody experiences racism differently 
depending on when they were born, you know, like in which generation, you know, if it was the 50s and then get to the 60s, things get a little better, the 70s right. and the 80s, you know, until now. And then it's so now it's like it's still here. I always say it's the 21st century and we're still dealing with the same things we dealt with, you know, back in the 60s. Right. It's just amazing. And then people are always asking these questions like they can't believe it. And I'm like, why can't you believe it? You see it every day. Mm -hmm. You're in denial. You know, I think it's interesting um, how you mentioned how mom, um, who's a light skinned black woman, Mm -hmm. might have experienced something different. And exactly. And do you remember when um, or sorry, backtrack really quick. So I don't know that. I don't think that black people can be racist because with racism, there's prejudice with power. And if we're not holding power, how can we be racist? You know, there's no institution of quote unquote black racism. I think we can be prejudiced against each other. Um, Not saying myself, but there are black people who can be prejudiced against other black people based upon their color, their skin going to like colorism. And I mean, but that's, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like what mom might have experienced. And um, I don't know if you remember, but when I was in college, it was my Mm -hmm. first or second year of college. And I called you because I was in this English class. Um, and my professor was black and she always gave me a hard time and I couldn't understand why. Cause I'm like, aunt Carolyn, you, you know, so much about editing and you could help me with this paper, but yet I still got to see, can you tell me why? And so then you would even mention like, well, um, you know, you mentioned something about the, even the color of my skin or maybe being like fairer than, um, yeah. And I was like, what is this concept? Like, at the time, I didn't get it, you know, I, and I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to judge somebody based upon that. And so that was such an interesting, I don't know, I guess, eye opener of like, oh, that's what you meant. Or, you know, maybe that's yeah, what. Exactly. I mean, it's not that it's gone away. I mean, it's right. still there. We still have, mm-hmm. you know, people. So you, we could call it prejudice. I, I'm just saying, I, mm-hmm. I was just saying, can black people be racist? I don't right. know. But I guess we can be prejudiced against people that are like us, but different, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're like each other, but different. And here again, how are we different? Once again, we're different because I'm darker, you're lighter. You know, I got this Afro hair is real Afro hair from Africa. Right. Mm. And then you got, you know, like biracial hair. I don't know. See, I'm just telling you, these are things that real. this is the stuff that bothers me. Mm-hmm. It bothers me all the time. The racism doesn't bother me because I'm so used to it. And it's unfortunately that I am, but it's true. I am. And I think most people of my generation are probably used to it. And, you know, like we fight against it in, in ways like, you know, we stand up, like, what do you mean by that? You know? And then we always like, like, what do you mean by that? If you go to a store, I've gone to stores uh, where people will ask me like, how are you going to pay for that? You know, I'm thinking, well, I don't know how am I how am I gonna pay for that really? I mean, it's just little slights that mm-hmm. you don't think about, but you notice them. Right. And they make you angry all the time. It's the same thing about when you go to get in line and you're always making sure that, especially if you're black, that you can't cut in front of me because I was here first and I'm gonna get my service. No, you know, that kind of stuff. And like, you're always like, are you in line? Can I get, no, you can't wait your turn because I had to wait my turn. And when it's my turn, it is truly my turn. Okay. I'm right. taking as long as I need to get what I want to get the service that I need. Isn't that horrible? Well, because it's like the microaggressions that build up 
Uh Mm -hmm. And just like you mentioned, like, well, how are you going to pay for that? Or like, um, (laughs) I had gone through the car wash a couple months ago and the girl was trying to make a joke and she goes, oh, we're not um, washing brown cars today. Mind you, my car is like goldish color. Like, so for me, I'm like, here we are, you know, and I'm like, am I going to be like, what do you mean by that? Or am I going to be like, let me, you know, not be seen as angry black woman being like, you know, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, how do you react in those kind of situations? And I think that's also part of like the conditioning that we experience is um, over time is just like, well, you got to be okay with it almost, you know? You don't. And then you have to have a, a like a really good comeback. Like, well, right. Isn't it wonderful that I don't have a brown car today? Right. But then like, <laughs> can I think that quickly? But, but, you know? saying, but you have to because right. you're expected to. Right. No, no, I don't have a brown car. So what are you talking about, miss? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean anything by it. Well, why did you say that? Right. You know, so then now you have to let it go because if you don't, it'll just fester all day. It means your whole day is ruined because of something that happened at 9 a.m. that morning. Right. And here it is eight o'clock and you're thinking about all of the things you could have said and you didn't say. Exactly. You get in your car, you drive back and you find her and you say, what did you mean by that? (laughs) In my head, I went back. You did. You did because you need closure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even when we were growing up in the South, okay, like I had um, to go to the dentist mm-hmm. and it's true about the dentist. When you go to the dentist, the same building, they did have doors that said colored and white. Mm-hmm. You go to the back of the door for the black people and the front and the white people go to the front. We lived in the generation with the water fountains that said colored and white. It's true. I mean, I lived through that. So what can you say? Right. It's all true. Your father, your grandfather, um, my sister and myself, he came to get us and he was taking us, you know, from Illinois back to Mississippi to visit the grandmother. And as we were driving, you know, there were some places in Illinois, like Effingham, Illinois is really bad. It's probably bad to this day. It's just places mm-hmm. that as a black person, you just didn't stop to get gas. Wow. And it's true, you did not. So we were, as we were driving, so I think we stopped someplace like maybe in Kentucky, and we went to order our food. And of course, you know, we had to go around. And your mother hates this story because it's true. We had to go around to the back of the restaurant, you know, where the garbage and all that stuff is to get our food. I mean, we couldn't go into the front of the restaurant and we could not eat in the restaurant. But we were allowed to give them our money and then drive off with the food. So, I mean, those are the kind of things you experience growing up. In that era, we went to a store. It's like it wasn't a mall. It's like a store in a, a different part of uh, where we lived in Illinois to buy something. And we were on our way back to try to get the bus to come back to our house. This time we lived on like um, 606 South 6th Avenue in Maywood. And then, of course, uh, some people saw us and then they called us the N word, which is, you know, really, really um it's such a hurtful word. Mm-hmm. I, I very seldom you use it. I mean, I had my cousin, my mother's um, first cousin, 
she called everybody the n-word it was like nigga 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 everywhere you go so i mean it's just so when i have children you very seldom ever hear me use that word in our house <laughs> nobody says it and when the kids friends would come over if they said it, i would just go ballistic i cannot stand it so degrading i mean really it, it's just like being called it's worse than being called stupid i remember when i was like a preteen like mm -hmm. remember when i was going through a not best time in my life and um you you set me straight and i remember explicitly i don't remember how it came up or whatever the case may be but i thought i was this little like 12 13 year old thug and um i had said it once and you completely set me straight and i can probably guarantee you that i, I don't think that i've used it since I haven't either. I just can't stand it. I mean, my aunt was just always, I'm like, my God, can you just not say that? Really? So anyway, my, my derogatory uh, word for uh, Black people who are, you know, if you're a Black person, you're good. It's not, it's just like, you're just a Negro. I mean, you know, can you imagine? <laughs> I'm calling you a Negro. You're a Negro, which is to me really bad. Even but, worse than? Yes, it's worse than because you like don't have any concepts of your blackness. And mm -hmm. I always like to tell the story on my birth certificate. It actually says, I was born in Mississippi and it says, what's your color or origin? It says black. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, so I like it. I remember when, I think we were renamed as a people, African-Americans by somebody, some male, probably was Jesse Jackson, junior or senior, probably senior, who thought that calling black people who lived in america african-americans would make white people like us better did it it did not mm. i mean why would you do that did that make us different better what what was the point of that i remember a couple of weeks ago we had briefly touched on this and you mentioned um you mentioned pretty much this exact thing you know that you don't want to be called african-american you want no, to be called black mm -hmm. yes i do and i personally like i don't take offense to either you know depending on the tone and yes. and how they're used um but i thought it was you know an interesting way and and you know you're right like while um our you know our roots are seated in in africa we don't have that same kind of connection culturally because no, um, it's all ripped away yes it has been and if you do a dna test like you may not even be of african descent i'd be curious to see that i mean i did one and my oh did says, you yeah it says african descent and then you know my friend gay she did a dna test and her family are east indians oh wow <laughs> I wonder if I might be able to find that. I know mom did one too. And hers is African, she told me. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, hers is like, I'm like, oh my God, you're not even, you're an Indian, an East Indian. And she was like cracking up too. So, like, <laughs> so I mean, you don't know. So she, right. Is she an African American? I mean, maybe somebody on that side of the family has African, right. you know, roots, but basically it's East Indian, you know, like I think it was like Pakistan. It probably wasn't Pakistan at the time. You know, mm -hmm. it was India, but since they split off, and right, I thought that was really interesting. So it sometimes people will say they they'll say African American, they'll look at me to make sure it's okay, or either they'll say black, and they're like, oh my god, I'm like it's okay, I'm black, it's fine, I don't I don't have a, a problem with it. And I think that's kind of where we're at too, is that as we are having so 
many discussions surrounding race um, that you got some white people or people in general that are on eggshells because they don't want to offend anybody. And it's like, exactly. Is that horrible? Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that, for them. I don't think that's the intention of having our movements. If, you know, if people feel like that, that's their thing, but you know, we can't be responsible for you feeling that way. Right. Um, I mean, I feel bad. If, if, well, I mean, can you have a friend like, you know, my friend Sherry, who is, she's a Caucasian lady and I consider her a friend and she's always, she doesn't walk on eggshells. She just says, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I'll tell her what I think. And she was like, well, that's good. And then I can respect that. And then she has like total respect for how I feel or, you know, how black people feel. She's really intuitive about that. And then I have one lady who was always telling me about marches and protests that she goes to. And I'm like, okay, so what does this mean that you're telling me this? Right. Why? Okay. And that's huge for me is like the intention behind it and how it's brought up, you know, like that's great that you're, you know, you want to, let's say, be on the front lines of the protests and the march. What, what else are you doing? You know, like, or do you want me to just validate like what, uh, your participation in the movement, or um, do you want me to give you kudos or whatever the I don't case know. may be? And I'm like, well, okay. And then, like when George Floyd died, she sent us all of you know text saying how horrible it was, and I'm like, yeah, it was. And uh, you know, we you want to have a dialogue about it? How right. do you feel? I mean, you already said you feel bad. I feel bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what else can I do other than, you know, like support a movement, uh, donate money to a cause or something that helps black people like you can do. I can go protest. I, you know, I'm not a big protester, but I can, I support people who do. Mm-hmm. I understand like the violence that occurred. Am I uh, for it? I'm not. But sometimes like they say, violence, you know, gets attention. If you get right. attention, then you could get change. I watched the shootings of these school kids. They went out, they protested. They weren't violent. They got no change. They got no gun laws. They got nothing. Yeah. You know, it's just like every year something happens. They protest. I mean, these are young people. And it's just like, oh, you know, they're like little flies. Let's swat them and they'll go away. And I'm hoping that with this particular movement, with all of the COVID-19, that it can really make a difference. If you're a black person, especially you're a black male, and I have too, they can stop you. And, and they can stop me too. It's not just because I'm a, a, you know, a black woman. They could pull me over. They could, you know, it's all subjective to what someone wants to do. And if the police are, have no, um, what feelings about somebody that they pull over, no empathy, or they have no, they don't have any relatability to these people like myself, I'm these people, then of course it could go wrong like that. Right. With everything going on today, do you feel like this time is any different from the protests you saw in your time? I think the only difference now is that more people are aware. Because when you have to remember in 68, I was in high school, and we had riots in 68 up here in Chicago, and they were really bad. I mean, they were horrible. They burned the whole West Side down. That, was, that has never come back, and nothing has changed. I mean, it's still the same. Mm-hmm. It's still the same. And all of it, to me, is all about economics. Mm-hmm. If you give people a jobs and if they have, you know, homes that's, and places that they can live in other than 
like you put people on top of each other. It's just like when you look at these pictures of New York in the slum era, like in the 30s and 40s. That's how Chicago feels to me. It feels like it's just, we're so packed in densely. We have no jobs, very little money, and very few people know what we feel like. So if you don't know, so then they're, it's, they're acting out. We're all acting out. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're acting out and we're killing each other. And if we do enough of this, maybe somebody will come in and say, we need to help these people because they, they're not helping themselves. So what, what can we do? And nobody's done that yet. The lack of generational wealth has been mm-hmm. an issue in the Black community for some time. Um, you know, we started with nothing and then we tried to build something just for it to mm-hmm. be ripped away, like yes. with Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, the first time I was working on setting up my 401k and mm-hmm. you helped me with that, you know, to understand, yes. you know, those individual investments within that 401k and, you know, how they're performing and, you know, reevaluate them and things like that. Which reminds me, I, I need to get your assistance hey, <laughs> again with that. With your money, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can, you know, we can talk about that another time. But, you know, when we talk about generational wealth, um, that can mean something different to each person and like how it's done, whether it be building a business or investing or owning a home. And then, Caroline, I know you've been in the same house for at least the last 30-something years. Yes, yes. It's like, man. And you know, I think, too, one of the reasons that we probably stay here so long is because, like, it's so hard for a Black person for us to, like, find a place to live with children. Mm. I mean, so when you think of where you want to live, you have to think, I always think, first of all, well, how will my children fare in those kinds of neighborhoods? So Mm -hmm. this neighborhood, it's like the taxes are cheap, the houses are small. I was able to send the kids to like private schools because Mm -hmm. my taxes here were cheap. I don't think I could have done it if I lived in like one of like your neighborhood Shaker Heights or like here it's Oak Park or Naperville. Those communities like Oak Park is a little bit more progressive. The Naperville community, which a lot of black people move in, is not as inclusive and it's very, you know, the taxes are very high and it's Mm -hmm. like it's so many white people. I did not want my children to be subjected to a lot of racial issues because they were black living in these kind of communities. It's, I think it's too hard. And I watched one lady that I worked with, she lived in Chicago and she put her kids in camp in River Force, which is at this time, we're looking like at the early 2000s. It's like a, a totally rich neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And she got these little black kids in these camps with these little white kids. And of course the little white kids and I don't know how I don't know how they are raised, but they're calling the little her kids, you know, the N word, and mm-hmm. she's protesting to the camp, and they don't care, but they're pretending like they do, and so now she's mad and she's trying to sue, and I'm like, why would you do that to your? Why would, I don't want my children subjected to that. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting perspective too, because like, you know, like Shaker Heights, I was pretty diverse. You know, we were around mm-hmm. everybody. Um, whether, you know, white people, white Jewish people, black Mm -hmm. people, Muslim people, like, 
Asians, like across the board. And hell, we were raised Buddhist, you know? Right. <laughs> and that in and of itself, you know, was another layer of diversity with, you know, how, how we were raised. And um, it's not to say that, you know, we never experienced any sort of, um, you know, racist actions and uh, like with softball, you know, traveling for softball throughout mm -hmm. Ohio or right. you know, for tennis, um, you, know, you know, all those kinds of things. So it's not to say that we were sheltered from it, but um, it's, it's just a very, it's a different experience, you know, being able to be diversified and not be the only person creating diversity, you know, just like right, they were the two right. kids being the only two black kids with all the white people um, or the white kids, but it's, it's having multiple different cultures and, and people around that I think makes a difference. It does make a difference. And they do studies that if black people are going to integrated schools, they have uh, better scores. Uh, they have a better networking uh, skills because they're around, you know, like the majority people. And then they're able to put up with all of the racism that they're going to get when they go to the corporate world. Right. And that's almost part of the conditioning. Yes, it is. And I mean, you know, like in uh, the, the school that they went to, that Fenwick High School, it's like, it's a different, I mean, they had, they went with a lot of rich kids, you know, people that own car dealerships and restaurants and stuff. So you get to see uh, the workings, the inner workings of how they network together, like their, their brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, they all are like legacy kids because they all go to the same school. You know, my grandfather went here, so my grandson has mm -hmm. to go there. So, like, uh, Arik is, he went, then his brother went. So, like, they're legacy little black boys at the little, at the school. It's, it's kind of interesting. I think the reason that we sent them to that school is because, first of all, they didn't have metal detectors. And second mm -hmm. of all, they guaranteed a really good education. And they, and if you get discipline, which I think kids need. I'm big on that. You need to have discipline so you can discipline yourself to get the job done to get to where you want to be right so and i would say for both sides of our family like with my grandma jerry she was huge on education yes same with um dad's dad too you know they were huge on education and making sure that you know we had um or that dad had you know the tools and you know had different experiences what like he mentioned going fishing and um boating and you know all of these sorts of things and going to you know predominantly black schools and predominantly white schools and you know those kinds of um experiences for him but all you know shaping him to be who he is mm -hmm. do you know why um grandma decided to move up to chicago from Mississippi? No, we came here at five. We came here uh, for her reasoning was that so we could go to a, a northern schools because she thought they were better schools. Mm. And do you like maybe even remember any uh, memorable differences in the social climate of like Chicago in comparison to Mississippi where you were at Mississippi? Well, I mean, where we lived, that was really rural. I thought that where, I mean, you know, it, not even the racism. I thought that where we lived, that was a lot easier than it is living here in, in the Northern climate. Cause people aren't as nice. I mean, I think we had a really hard time trying to fit in, you know, like with our quote Northern cause it's like country mouse, city mouse. Oh, mm -hmm. so I mean, culturally, you know, like we're slow. We don't know. It wasn't a very good situation. 
Hmm. It could have been better. Yeah. And from stories we've kind of learned here and there growing up, I understand grandma was really strict with you and mom. Um, where do you think that came from? I think that she was strict because her, her father was really strict. Hmm. You know, he was really strict. I mean, he was, her father wor- was worked on the railroad. He retired from the railroad and he, you know, he bought a farm. They owned the farm. They, they were actually property owners and they had lots of acres. And I guess if you do that, you have to have people to help you work and your children have to like, they have to mind you. They have to do what you say because that's, that's just the way they were raised. So she moved here, and if you're raised that way with people always, you know, like, I mean, she would give us a, a whooping with a, a, a witch tree mm-hmm. or a belt in a minute. You, you couldn't know there's no back talking. You do what I say, not what I hear, whatever. I mean, she had all these little sayings. Um, it was just horrible. But I think she had good intentions. They weren't really bad. You know what I'm saying? It's not that she was doing it like with a malicious um, spirit. It's just she wanted us not to get in trouble. I mean, we're black girls. We can't get in trouble. We have to toe the line. Oh, you know, like, and as far as like being taken advantage of, which happens to us all the time, just being girls, you know, in, in environments and not being like, we have a sense of naivete. And you get taken advantage of it. I think that's what she wanted to prevent. Mm-hmm. I really do. And I, I look about, back on that all the time. And I think that's exactly what she wanted. She didn't know any better. And when you don't know, then you do how you were raised. But when I had children, I decided mm, I'm not doing any of that. That's just crazy. So how do you think that compares to how you raised Tisaric and Cameron? In their well, I mean, each each of the three of them are different. I did well with the boys. We did a lot of time out. I don't think I gave many whoopings. You know, more like I try to find out what I could do to get them to do what I want. What I wanted them to do with, you know, I I could bribe you. whatever their currency is whatever their current like you know video game you know you do this you get a video game or if you just be a good person you'll get something right and I mean that I think that worked for me and for them and like Clifton that's you know your uncle he Mm -hmm. was more strict in that sense because his family again was like that because he came from a family that had a mother and a father so they were used to doing what the dad said and, you know, Mo and I, we came f- from a family that was just a matriarch, and it's a totally mm-hmm. different way of being raised. So your mother is like the mother and father, so of course she's going to be the daddy to me. That's why she was always so strict like that. And then here, the daddy, the husband here in my family, he was the one who was more of a disciplinarian. So that, that meant you, two people can't do that. So one person mm-hmm. has to be the advocate for the child, and that's me. So if I think he's being unfair, which they would always say he was, <laughs> then I have to step in and say, well, I don't think you should do that. And then try to give an explanation as to why mm-hmm. I wouldn't discipline the kids like that. And he, you know, basically he gave them time out. But I don't know, because he was a male, they always listened to him and what he said. I mean, even when they were teenagers, like Art wanted to rebel and he wanted to stay out past curfew because he was 16. And uh, 
Clifton was like, no. And so, but Clifton is also reasonable, which is really good. So he said, the father, that's Clifton, told Ari, your cousin, tell me why you think you should be able to stay out past curfew. And then people, listen, in, in this era, people did curfews. You had to be in by like 1130 or whatever the curfew was. And he told them like about his grades, how he never gets in trouble, how he does what he's supposed to do. And I think that was good enough. And then Clifton looked at him. He said, yeah, that sounds good. You can stay out. You don't have to, you know, he had no curfew. Wow. Because he made a case for why he shouldn't have a curfew. And he was a good kid. And he that's, you know, that's a selling point. That's interesting because I think over time we've learned that, um, that Black parents can be maybe a little bit harsher, just like, you know, grandma was, or like, you know, her father was, um, maybe in the sense, right, exactly. So maybe in that sense of like, well, you, you know, if you don't act right at home and you go out acting a fool or not acting a fool, you may very well not come home. Yes. And so, um, you know, and I can understand that, um, that fear of, are you going to return to me? You know, did I, you know, teach you right? Granted, you know, there are still people that, you know, get treated wrong for doing nothing wrong. Um, But, you know, at the very least, you act right at home. You you act right when you're, you know, out in the streets. This should be the saving grace of, you know, people who have ill intent. Yes. So I think so too. I think that, and we have to act right. I mean, you know, like one black person can mess it up for everybody. Really? Right. Who made that one up? Who says that? But that's the, that's the whole intent. One messes it up for everybody. Right. Which is, can't be the case for, you know, and I think now too, like we're, um, as we're having these discussions, it's, you know, people think that, um, or there are some people who think that all black people hate all white people or that all black people hate all cops. And it's not black people against white people. It's It's everybody against racism. It's not black people against cops. It's about people against the bad cops and how to reform policing, which sure we're the spokespeople for it at this point, because it's disproportionately affecting the black community. But in that's not to say that we're not upset or that we're okay with, you know, other races that are, you know, subject to police um, brutality also. Like that's still an issue. And just because we happen to be the spokespeople for it, um, that doesn't mean that we don't care about everybody else. But if we can get reform, if we can be the catalyst to get change, that will help everybody. So you can help us. That'd be great. Yeah, by getting on the train and helping us. If yeah. That's exactly what you need to do. And just if, if, if they say Black Lives Matters, that's okay. Because if you jump on the train, your life matters because you're on my train. If you're a Latino, you jump on. I'm going to help you out. We're all going to help each other out. But another problem I find that with policing is that like these the people that they've hired for policing, 
I don't know where they get the police from. I don't know what their educational background is. I don't even know if they live in the communities that they serve. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if say, I'm a West Side police officer. Do I live like in a nice, you know, rosy suburb where I come to this community and I bring my prejudices from my family, from mm-hmm. growing up, from my high school, my grade school, and then the, they, and then I become these people. You know how they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, those words are just disgusting. These people, they are, you know, what, you know, those kinds of words. What does that mean, these people? Because it, it's that, like, negative. It's whether very it's very negative. Or whatever, or maybe, it, and it's, it could also be part of those microaggressions where you say, you know, those people or they, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, we, um, and it's hurtful, you know, and then, you know, you try mm-hmm. and have a conversation, like you want to have good dialogue and then somehow like we're the bad ones because are, we, we spoke up. Right. So I'm just saying, you even see that in, in our, um, in our government, the, the orange man, and I, it's okay to call him that I'm sure, but I'm just telling you, he says, our heritage we're preserving what are, what are you preserving it's not like our heritage it's not just it's not just yours right and i'm assuming when he says our he means the heritage of white americans but this is not a country that's built by white americans so it's like a collective heritage and the thing is that they're not going anywhere white <laughs> people aren't going anywhere you know black people make up about 13 percent of the u.s population yeah so, White mean, people so make up 70 something. I think it's, uh, don't quote me here. I think it, let's, it's over 70% right. of the U.S. population. Do you know how long that would take to, you know, it's not going to be in any of our lifetimes. It's not even going to be in Gray's lifetime and he's not even three. Okay. Oh, <laughs> crazy. Our, really? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And then that's, and I really have a problem, you know, like even with the the news media, they never, they, they're also a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Because they don't do the reporting correctly. I mean, they just gloss over and they make excuses for the for the police. They make excuses for the president. I mean, if you're a real report, just tell the truth. Don't give me any dialogue. I'm so don't be a pundit. Okay, just mm-hmm. report, and that's it. Don't tell me your opinion because I don't care. Because you know, it's, you're crazy. That's not right. I want them to stop doing that too. I just want the facts. And I can make up my own opinion. I don't need someone to come and tell me, well, after the news is over, then I get the pundit who says, did you hear what he said? I'm like, yes, I heard what he said, but he didn't say what you just said he said. So, Right. You know, taking out of context or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, no. And do you feel like now might actually be a big change that we'll see? Like, do you think now we'll actually be different for... Oh, I am so praying that it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to stop. I swear. I mean, I need for them to go and go and go. I mean, I'll even go. I, I was telling my friend, I want them to go on. I want for November to come. I will even risk getting COVID-19 to go vote because mm-hmm. I need a new president. I'm going to get my mask. I'm going to get my chair. I'm going to be sitting out there waiting for the polls to open. I am. Bo- I voted every election. I voted in the primaries, the secondaries. I have, since they gave me the right to vote, mm-hmm. I have always voted. So with Absolutely. this election coming up, it is so important. I'm telling you, get your chair, get your hot mug of coffee or cocoa, 
and get your mask and we are going to vote. If I have to stand in line all day, I'm voting. Well, it's this and, you know, even local elections too, um, that, you, you know, everybody has got to be a part of. I, hey, if you're not a part of it, what do they say? If you're not a part of the solution and you're the part of the problem, don't say anything about, oh, you didn't vote. You're stupid. Now that's stupid. Mm-hmm. And that makes you a Negro because you didn't vote. <laughs> not to say that it's only Black people who aren't voting. Well, I don't know about other people. I only know about Black people because (laughs) that's who I know. Yeah. (laughs) My Black people don't vote. I got an issue. Now, the white people, they don't. Only people that I know who are white are my friends. They vote because they're always like, they're trying to register people to vote like me. I'm so, no, you need to vote. Mm -hmm. People don't realize how important that is. It really is. It is. I I agree. It is. I saw the line in Kentucky and the people bamming on the windows. That would be me in November because mm-hmm. I'm voting. And that's, you know, another form of that. So it's the voter suppression. I mean, there yes. there's so many layers to the issues that we have in this country. And our um, government does nothing. Yeah, you know, there was, um, I was talking to a friend recently who was like, you know, the government planned all this, you know. Um, another like, conspiracy? I could get behind it, that one, unfortunately. Yeah, well, because... <laughs> I think so. I'm just yeah. you. There's so much that is controlled. It's like, well, they probably knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you know, somebody yeah, knew yeah. somewhere that somebody all this mess was going to happen. Wow. And does that, you know, make us silly for, you know, playing into it or, oh, you know no, what I mean? One, I, I'm going to have to get behind that one, Donna. Yeah. I'm just telling you, it sounds like it, it could be true. They planned it. Yeah, it's it's so amazing. You you look and you think, how can you not let these people vote? Why? Mm-hmm. What's the you know, because you're losing power? What? And I don't understand why our news media does not make a, a better connection of the orange man to the things that have happened in Germany mm-hmm. over the you know, with the suppression, with our heritage and bringing up, like, being so divisive. I mean, that's a divisive, uh, the divisive rhetoric that's coming out of Washington, D.C. that's aimed at not only Black people, but, I mean, Latino people, anybody that's an immigrant, that's just really Towards bad. minorities. Yes, towards minorities. Mm-hmm. So I think minorities need to speak up, and they, they need to get out there and get on the Black Lives Matter train. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, you're not going to have any rights. You can just see them just, like, whittling away. I was having a conversation with someone else, too, or I think it was the same person, actually, about, um, you know, why is nobody upset about, you know, the kids that are in detention? Nobody's not upset. People are are. still upset. Yes, they are. You can be upset about multiple causes. Like, you you can focus on so many different causes at once. Just because one is elevated, that doesn't mean that another doesn't matter you know like like we said you know black lives matter it's not that we only matter or we matter more it's we matter also you know there you know there there's so many things to be able to focus on with our movement um but that doesn't mean that we don't focus on other movements as well but that's you know what no because when that came out about the detention centers people protested that did they Mm -hmm. not Okay, yeah, so absolutely. They had to burn down the, the detention centers 
and maybe if they had a you know rioted maybe it would have gotten some attention but i don't really think it would because i don't think that the people in charge really care hmm. I, I don't really think they do because it only la- it, it was whitewashed the news media did not stay on it they don't even mention it now they never right. mention it. they have not even said oh what about those children never you don't hear anything about it and I think that I guess to the that point is like, just, like just because the news isn't focusing on it doesn't mean that it's not important. To yes, but I, you should at least once a month to bring it up, right? In the in the and I and I'm reading the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and I've only seen made mention of it now because of COVID nineteen, and they mm-hmm. want the children returned somewhere because they can't take care of them. Right. So, yeah. So COVID-19 to me has been a wonderfully disastrous, but good thing. (laughs) Can you imagine me saying that? Yeah. It has opened people's eyes to how bad our government is Mm -hmm. and all the lies that they're doing. I mean, they have layers and layers upon lies. They've done nothing for people with COVID-19. It wasn't for the governors in certain states. You know, the, the population of other states, they're just running amok. Every day I listen, it's like 4,000 here, 5,000 here. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why I'm staying home, seriously. No, I get it. I like working from home, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, it's just um, yeah. it's horrible. So oh, then my. we got that on top of, you know, the cops killing us. So the COVID is killing me. Black lives kill me. Here, George Floyd, the guy who started this and like he's a godsend anybody who says anything different it's i mean he died but he died for a really good cause seriously he, he survived covid and he came back and you know he was killed in the process but his death to me he's like a martin luther king now he's just spurring movement it's a movement but i don't think that was his intention i know but it's just it did it did it, I, it that's what that's what his death did but that but he like the person wasn't looking for that does that right. make sense yeah and, no, that's what i'm saying Even yeah though he did he spurred a movement and i think that's where um you know the people who are like in opposition of and like this is what gets frustrating for me is that you know something like this happens there's a tragic death and yes, then tragic. people want to bring up their past as if that justifies their death. death yeah no he's yes yeah, like that's and and so when you know he's sort of, uh, I like I mean this in the best way when he's sort of put on a pedestal like he did this for like that's where lines get blurred and then they're yes. like well he was you know a criminal or blah blah, blah like whatever he did I don't know what his history was it, that's not important it's right. about the way that he died yes. that was unjust is the issue that is um, what I'm saying whatever he did yeah. in the past did not mean that he should have been killed in the way he was it was so and and plus that it was on national tv and of course national tv you know what they do they play it every day Mm -hmm. every day i saw it some days i couldn't look and every day i think people just got madder and madder and they just like to get i'm going outside now i am so sick of this every day it's like watching the the laquan mcdonald shooting here in chicago the 16 shots in the cover-up i mean every day they played it every day they played this young man walking in this guy shooting him 16 times i mean he must have emptied the gun and then went and got and had to reload or whatever yeah it was just horrible and then nobody was outraged that should have been an outrage Mm -hmm. so i'm just saying the time that this happened it was it's been 
it should have had it should not have happened but it has happened and it has helped people see that the police need to be reformed and that our government needs reform our laws absolutely. are what's really bad absolutely there needs to be reform across the board 100 yes, exactly not just he it, it does need to be reformed. but who can do it? who's brave enough to do it in our government because everybody wants to be reelected. Nobody wa- and I don't know why you think these senators need to be in office for 50 years. I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. Like that set some is- term limits. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And even with the judges, the Supreme Court judges, mm-hmm. 25 limit, you got to go. Not mm-hmm. for life. That makes no sense to me. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think I am going to have to be a reformer now, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all can do our part in some way. And, you know, even if it's just this bit of being able to, you know, have dialogue and, yeah, and share that. it and, and get it out there, like that's, it, it may be small to some, but it's still something. It's, you know, it's better than nothing. Yes. It Absolutely. Is. That's what I keep saying, you know, small steps to big gains. Mm-hmm. So, and this like is a, it was a, a horrible step for George Floyd, but it's been a really good step for law reform has been a good step for opening people's eyes to mm-hmm. that maybe I was a racist and I'm mm-hmm. like you think and like even on my job like and I, you know we're owned by a, a, a Pearson is an English company and they've been having so much dialogue it's like people have called me well how do you feel I'm like well think about what you just asked me have you ever asked me that before have you ever cared about how it felt for me to be a black person working for your company before George Floyd did you ever think about that before really so now you're all concerned where were you before so and now that this has happened what are you going to do because I was telling my boss I'm like I've been here almost 10 years there's only one black there's no black males who work here so what are you doing about that? And she's like, oh, that's right. I'm like, yeah, right? Duh. And there's only two Black females, myself and somebody else in my particular department. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know. And then they start counting them. I'm like, oh, you can count them on one hand. You don't, one hand, you don't even need two. Three fingers or two yeah, fingers. Right, that's it. You don't even need all your fingers on that one hand to count. That makes me crazy. And I think too now is, you know, we, we do you see a lot of corporations coming out, even, you know, my own um, that's yes, coming out to, yes. to speak out and, you know, that's good, you know, um, but there's also work to be done. So, yes. you know, just like, you know, your, your company didn't show up for us before and now they want to, but just don't make us responsible for having to give you more than what's already out there you know like we can have you know these good conversations but if we've never had it before um and you know this wasn't a a topic of conversation before like just don't make that burden fall on us to be the educators can you you can join committees i'm like you've never asked me before like so why will you do this now why Mm -hmm. i mean i've been sitting here all this time you know just trying to be a quote a good worker so i can keep my job Basically, you know, because you're black, you always got to like do a little bit extra mm-hmm. trying to keep your job, you know, but I think that that bothered me a lot because they hadn't done it before. And like now they want the black people in the company, those three that are there to like be the spokesperson for all the black people. I can't right. be the person for all the black people in America or in any other country of the world. I can only be my own spokesperson, you know, and for those that I'm close to, I can tell you how I feel. But that may not be how other people feel that are exactly color. So I mean, I don't know. 
I mean, do I have I experienced racism? Yes, but because I have lived in the South, moved to the North, yes. I was talking to your cousin, Arik. He had to ask me when he thought I experienced racism. I'm like, how do I know? I mean, I don't know how, how I don't even know maybe when you've experienced it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you did and you didn't really think about it as being racist. Right. You just thought that that's how that person was. Right. And you didn't think, oh, well, you know, Sheila's a racist because she, you know, said some nasty things about my hair. Does that mean she's a racist or she just thought my hair looked bad? I don't know. See, you got to figure out if they're saying it because you're black or they're saying it because you're who you are. They know you and, you know, maybe they got a beef with you because of you, mm-hmm. not because of your color. Right. That's what I always say to my boss. I'm like, well, first of all, I need to know, is this because I'm black? If it's because I'm black, it's a problem. If it's because I'm Carolyn and there's something deficient that you think is in my personality or what I'm doing, then we need to talk about it so we can get that rectified. The other stuff I can't, I can't, I can't do anything about what you think about me as a black person. Right. What you think about me as Carolyn, the worker, we can work on that. That's all we can do. Based upon performance. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. Purely on performance and nothing else because you, we, we, we're virtual. We don't see each other. We don't know each other. We've never met except for video. So what do you know? You don't know me and I right. don't know you. You see pictures of my, you know, this, so you get a, uh, maybe a little caption of who I am from mm-hmm. what you see in my house. And you see that people are like, oh my God, that's a nice painting or that's a nice something or, oh, you're in your bed. Really? I'm like, I'm never, but I can do that. <laughs> but the white women, they're in their beds when they're having that. But me, I can see them saying, oh, she was in her mm-hmm. bed. No. uh-uh. Don't you give said, them a reason. Yes. And even that. Don't give them a reason. No. Right. Well, I do appreciate you taking some time to hop on the podcast with me and you know, learn a little bit more about you. Cause like I told dad to you, we don't really get these opportunities to really dive in. Like we've never really like had these kind of discussions in depth growing up. Like you learn about things here and there, but there's never been like a, let's say, and just have this long conversation about what you've experienced. Well, thanks again for joining us. And no problem, um, kid, no problem. All right. I love you. I love you more. See you later. was awesome that makes me so so happy I absolutely am loving these conversations with my loved ones but then also just getting that generational perspective from those who have lived through you know even more than what we're seeing now Um, it would be really nice but um, I don't have the opportunity to be able to speak with my grandparents about this. Um, As mentioned in the previous episode, my dad's father was killed when he was six. And then um, I didn't mention this, but my mother's father passed away when I believe she was 13. So I don't have um, the grandparent aspect. And both of my grandmothers have passed. Um, My grandma, Jerry, a little over three years ago, and my grandma, Doris, almost two years ago now. So it would have been really interesting to get their perspective as well, go back even one more generation. And I might need to do some digging, but I can't think off the top of my head, someone who would be willing to come on from, you know, a a grandparent generation um, to get their perspective as well. However, it would actually be really interesting to see 
about my generation. So I should do that next. Interview someone in my generation or raising, you know, the next generation of kids and um, or black or brown kids and kind of see what our thought processes are during this time and, you know, just raising the next generation of young black adults now. But I think what we have now is fantastic and I hope you all enjoyed it too. So this week with Weekly Faith and Humanity Restored, um, this is where we give back where you can by supporting businesses that incorporate giving from sales to charities or donating directly to the source, a dollar or a share, it all counts. So um, this business I mentioned on the last episode with Black Girl Sunscreen, and uh, while I didn't find anything specific about you know giving back to communities and things like that, this is a black business that we can help elevate, which is really neat. So um, the, scrunching, the sunscreen finally came in and it is incredible. It literally does not leave any white residue, uh, make me look ashy, no like purple coloring, nothing like that. It's really, really great. And I am so glad for this purchase. So you guys should check it out too. Um, if that's something that you've been struggling with, with your sunscreen, it's blackgirlsunscreen.com. And of course I will put the link in the show notes so you can check it out there as well. And might I ask if you guys haven't already, please do rate, review, and subscribe to Real Relatable wherever you get your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Um, you can also even share, you know, episodes or just the podcast in general with your friends or family, anyone who you think would appreciate um, the podcast or be a part of the discussion as well. And drop me a line via email to realrelatablepodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts that you may have. You can follow me on social media at realrelatablepodcast on Instagram or at Donna Janine. I did actually relaunch my website, um, donnajanine.com. And so while I'm still going through to kind of tweak it a little bit and um, it added the podcast episodes, add in some more blog posts over the last several months, which might be a little bit more of an elaboration of some of the podcast episodes if you want to read about it. But um, you can go ahead and check that out too. Again, it's DonnaJanine.com. And as always, thank you guys for hanging out with me. Um, Until next time, be sure to keep it real and stay relatable. Bye.